Hello and welcome to Roll for Resilience. This is a podcast fusing the idea that our role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons and Final Fantasy can be utilized and fostered for personal growth and mental health. I'm your host, Effector of Change. My pronouns are he, they. Our very first episode of the podcast is dedicated to a pressing concern, which is the genocide currently underway in Israeli-occupied areas of Palestine, notably the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. As of the recording of this episode, more than 105 days have passed since October 7th, and the Israeli military forces have been decimating the area. Join me and our special guests as we delve into the historical context of this conflict, discuss some of the recent updates of loss, share some personal accounts, and offer recommendations on what we can do to make a difference. Please be advised that this episode of Rule for Resilience includes contents, discussions, and materials related to genocide, acts of war, discrimination, religious persecution, and trauma. Please take breaks as needed. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the stream. Hi, y'all. Anyway, Raiders, uh, if you don't know me, I'm a factor of change. You can call me AOC. My pronouns are he, they. I am a cozy queer RPG streamer. Uh, we are doing our first episode of a very special podcast called Roll for Resilience. Uh, tonight's episode is all about uh, Palestine and supporting folks. We are raising funds for the Palestinian Children's Fund. Here is a link. So we're going to talk about all sorts of things. I've got some really awesome guests. They are here. They are so happy to vibe with us. I am the host for this panel, um, joined by lots of really cool, awesome friends. Um, we're going to just I guess, go a little bit one by one, introduce ourselves. Uh, what's your name? What's your pronoun? And uh, something about interested you in joining this panel. And I guess we'll start at the top uh, here with my teammate, Captain Stickfigure. Hi, yeah, I'm Captain Stickfigure, uh, fellow Treppy. Uh, I'm mostly, oh, my pronouns are they, he, please. Uh, and I mostly am streaming uh, gaming, but I do uh, follow politics quite closely. So I'm excited to have a chat tonight. Um, and I was most excited uh, to take part in this discussion because um, it's really something that uh, a situation that I've had a little bit of a complicated relationship with, and I'm, I'm, I haven't been fully engaging as much as maybe I should, uh, and I'm looking forward to hopefully learning something and gaining some some further insight from some folks who are a little bit more connected and familiar. So thank you. Uh, and then moving across the aisle, we've got Crimson Ooze, one of my oldest oh. internet pals. <laughs> I know, we've been like friends forever. Um, I am Crimson News. My name is Mia. I uh, go by she, her. Um, I am half Palestinian. Uh, it's one of the major reasons, obviously, for me talking about what's going on in Palestine and the people and what's going on currently. Um, and it really ties into my current advocacy. Uh, I'm here with a couple of other friends that I really love, and I'm very happy to meet more speakers that are interested in speaking on the topic and sharing what we know with you guys, because I know there are a lot of other platforms that are sharing this information, 
and uh, if you'd like to spread the word. Excellent. Thanks, Mia. Thanks, Mia. And then down below me, uh, a new friend from the land of TikTok. Hello. <laughs> hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Dan. Um, I go by Hipster Genius uh, on TikTok. Um, and I decided to get involved uh, in this discussion um, because I've been... I've been involved in international relations and specifically um, the occupation of Palestine for, oh, geez, close to 30 years now. Um, and I'm only 37. Um, and I've said this on I've said this on other platforms, um, but I can remember being seven years old um, and watching uh, then Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin and his awkward handshake on the South Lawn of the White House with President Bill Clinton and PL and then uh, PLO Chairman Yasser Arafat. And I just think it's something that doesn't nearly get discussed enough. And I'm happy to be a part of the discussion. Oh, and my pronouns are he, him. Thank you. Thank you. And then uh, to uh, our new friend's right is the illustrious Alana Kane. Ooh, what an intro. <laughs> Hi, guys. My name is Lana Kane. Um, my pronouns are she, her. Um, I am interested in this topic because uh, I am someone who, <laughs> because I exist, will forever be in the conversation of politics just because of who I exist as in the United States, a Black queer woman. So it's always going to be something that I have to figure out here and um i think it's important that um especially those who are always trying to find their place um in their own home country should listen and hear the stories of those around the world who are trying to do the same um it shocks me how a lot of people allow for fear to be an excuse for lack of empathy. And I think that maybe the cause of that is because they don't have the knowledge that they do. So if I can be um, maybe someone that can just continue to gather more information, because I don't know everything. I have no idea how anything can be solved um, in the sense of a lot of people around me. But I think that my empathy, empathy and my um, my desire to want to just make things better for anyone because I would hate for anyone to feel even a sliver of what I felt in a place that's supposed to be free um, sh should mean something if nothing at all. So I'm not a perfect person and I certainly don't know all the ways to fix things, but I want to learn and I want to be somewhere where I can continue to learn more and also help those who need to be defended in the same way I would hope that someone would do it for me. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Thank you, Lana. Uh, and then uh, to Lana's right, we have Nancy Naveen, another new friend I've met on TikTok. Hi, Nancy. Hi, nice to meet everyone. I'm Nancy. I go by Nancy Naveen. Uh, she, her. Um, I've always been passionate, passionate about justice and liberation uh, for everyone. My blood has always boiled for people, uh, animals, anything that is oppressed, uh, any anyone and anything that is bullied. Um, blood has always boiled for that. But I do have a connection to Palestine. I am Palestinian. I'm one of the ethnic minorities of Palestine. Um, and we, my family, uh, thank God, was safe. But, you know, we were affected. Uh, properties were stolen in 1948. And I have a bunch of stories 
Um, but uh, Palestine is near and, and dear to my heart. Um, and I have been speaking on this every single day since, um, you know, the world began on October 7th. The sarcasm. Um, yeah, that's that's about it for now. All right. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, everybody, for being here and, you know, contributing to this conversation. Again, this is just kind of a chill uh, talk. Uh, I've sat on a panel or two of yours, Nancy, and you kind of have a similar vibe. So I love that. Um, my thank goal... you, by the way, thank you for being there and hanging out yesterday. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so my, my goal is to really just kind of have a conversation, give a little bit of knowledge out on Twitch into the world about Palestine, its history. Um, I've got a little video uh, I'd like us to watch, not of like what's happening right now. I don't think that would be the best for Twitch. Um, but there, there's a, a cooking show where Anthony Bourdain went to Jerusalem. Yes and mm -hmm. is on the ground and you can kind of see from like the year 2016 i think is when that was filmed 2013, even... 2013. what was on yeah. the ground then and then think about perhaps what is going on now um that this is not a new problem this is not since october 7th this is an issue that has been a big problem for a long time and then by the end of our, our panel tonight, I'd like for us to just have some ideas together about what we can do to boycott, to educate, to protest, to divest. What can we do to stop the nonsense of bloodshed that's now, I think, 105 days since October 7th, I believe? It's been going on and on and on. With that, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about how, how Israel came to be um i was doing a little bit of research on the topic and i was finding that uh in 1799 our good old pal napoleon was you know invading the arab world and came up with this wonderful idea that he thought there should be a jewish state in the middle east he was thinking that that was probably the best plan for the Jewish problem at the time. Because as you know, Jewish people have also been marginalized throughout our world's history in all sorts of forms and fashion. And so that was the solution. Uh, and that's kind of the beginnings, I think, of this idea of, of Zionism. To me, I guess Zionism is, is a settler colonial project that has been carried forward uh, by Israel. It's the idea of manufacturing a Jewish majority by removing the native Palestinians and replacing them. Um, it's a political ideology all about establishing and maintaining that Jewish demographic majority here. Um, not here, there, obviously. And it's been uh, brewing for a long time. In 1917, there was the Balfour Declaration. So back in the uh, 20th century, obviously, Britain and the Netherlands and all of these superpowers of Europe have really divided up the world. Right, so we had like all of this chaos of colonialism going on in the world, right? Europe was dividing up and, and pocketing the monies of indigenous peoples all around the planet. Slavery was abound. Mm. Like this is how the world's economy mm. really became to be. And then in uh, 
World War One, there was the Allied powers, right? You know, versus Germany, mm-hmm. Austria, Hungary, Ottoman Empire, and Bulgaria, right? So they lost. <laughs> And the Ottoman Empire at the time, which encompassed a huge area of, you know, northern Africa and the Middle East, that kind of region, kind of fell apart. And they had to figure out what to do with uh, all of that land. And Britain in 1917 uh, had the Belfort Declaration, where they basically said, without really having permission, we're just gonna we're just gonna take this little little area called Palestine. And we're going to turn that into Israel. We're going to turn that into a Jewish state, even though they really didn't have the legal authority to do it. They just decided on a whim, this is fine. This is cool. Jews constituted less than 10% of the population at the time. But with British assistance, (laughs) European Jews immigrated into that area between 1922 and 1935, slowly becoming about 27% of that area's population. Um, Wow. When the Nazis seized power in Germany between 1933 and 1936, between 30 and 60,000 more European Jews arrived on the shores of Palestine. One of the reasons uh, for the Balfour Declaration uh, to keep, you know, things under tabs in that area is, you know, Palestine is pretty darn close to Egypt. It's pretty darn close to that Suez Canal. It's a place where a lot of money, a lot of goods get transported. Why not have some kind of a sphere of influence in that region, right? Sorry, I just want to mention something real quick. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, You mentioned the Balfour Declaration, but it's important to mention that about 20 years before the Balfour Declaration, uh, the father... uh, a man by the name of Theodore Herzl, who is considered to be the father of modern Zionism, uh, he wrote a book called uh, Hudenstadt, which roughly translates in English to Jewish state. Mm-hmm. And that initial, that was the first initial outline of a need for a Jewish state in Palestine. I think I want to say that was 1895, if I remember correctly. That that Zionist uh, thing, uh, goal, whatever it is, the crimes that it's created, you know, it's been around a long time. The idea's been around a long time. And, and the Balfour Declaration was something that legitimized this plan and allowed that to continue to grow. In 1936, uh, there was an event that was a general strike that became known as the Arab Revolt. There was an armed resistance to Palestine being carved up. They didn't like the idea of their homeland being taken away and stripped and stolen. Uh, There was a large uh, uprising against the British and their support of the Zionist settler colonialism. British authorities, uh, of course, crushed the revolt lasted for about three years violently. They destroyed at the time about 2,000 Palestinian homes. Another 9,000 Palestinians were put in concentration camps and subjected to violent interrogation, including torture. And about 200 of Palestine's nationalist leaders were also interrogated. At the time, about 10% of the Palestinian male population had been killed wounded, exiled, or imprisoned by the end of the revolt. So so this pushback, right? This is before Israel existed. They were already 
coming in to kind of do what they could to destroy the people who were living there, to destroy the land and, and give it away as if it was land to give, not too dissimilar from what happened in the United States. I've had conversations before on my stream about the Sullivan Clinton campaign. It's a part of New York state history that we don't really talk about very much. During the Revolutionary War, there was two generals, Sullivan and Clinton, who were working for President Washington, or I guess General Washington at the time, right? And so while they were fighting the British to kind of take our land, they sent these generals into upstate New York to destroy homes, to burn villages, and to chase as many people as they could across the border. As a result of that, and the following winter, it was one of the worst winters we've ever had. So many people died of starvation because they ruined their crops. They destroyed the food that they could eat. They destroyed their homes. Um, and then all of that land in upstate New York, where I am from, is what was given to the generals as their payment for serving in the Revolutionary War. Like the counties that I know and grew up near <laughs> are all named for these awful men who did just those things. Um, so this history that we're talking about is not unique to Palestine. This is a strategy. This is a strategy that's been used all over the world. It's a tactic of colonialism. It is. It is. Um, then there was the Nakba. Uh, between 1947 and 1949, at least 750,000 Palestinians from about a 1.3 million population were made refugees beyond the borders of the state. Zionist forces took more than 78% of historic Palestine ethnically cleansed and destroyed about 530 villages and cities, killing 15,000 Palestinians in a series of mass atrocities, including more than 70 massacres. By the end of the fighting, the end of the Nakba, Israel controlled about 78% of what historically had been Palestine. Millions of folks are still refugees, right? That, that event has continued to echo forward. Many people have been displaced as a result of this, this moment. Um, Israel's divided uh, two major zones, I believe, uh, for Palestinians. There's the Gaza Strip, and then there's the West Bank, which is closer to Jerusalem. Um, the, the stuff that we're going to talk about now really does apply to you know Gaza and the Strip there and what they're doing. But as I was listening to Mia share some updates, there's a lot of the same stuff happening in the West Bank. Uh, it's it's all of the area. Yeah. It's not just Gaza that's experiencing these awful atrocities. So yeah, a lot of the eyes are on Gaza right now, um, but we should never ever forget about mm -hmm. West Bank because. They are suffering from a lot of violence, a lot of tragedy right now. And it kind of, I wouldn't say happens behind the scenes because a lot of us see it, but it gets overlooked because the focus is on Gaza right now. But we should acknowledge that all Palestinians not only come from Gaza, but they also come mm -hmm. from the West Bank. Another major setback that I noted in doing a little bit of research in 1967, uh, there was the Arab-Israeli war uh, known as the Naqsa. 
Israel continued to occupy a lot of the remaining territories that were in East Jerusalem, the West Bank, and the Gaza Strip that it continues to occupy in some ways until today. The UN partition plan for Israel was supposed to be about 55% of, of how much of that territory should be uh, under Israel's control, but it currently holds more than 85% of historic Palestine within its grasp. This conflict in the 60s led to the further displacement of another 430,000 Palestinians, half of which originated from areas occupied in 1948. And so these were twice refugees. They went through this experience double times in their life. As in the Nakba, again, Israeli forces used military tactics that violated basic international rights laws, such as attacks on civilians and expulsions. Many refugees at that time fled into neighboring Jordan, some going to Egypt, some going to Syria. The folks that stayed behind, that were able to survive through that experience, they remained under martial law for two decades. More than 50 laws exist currently in, in Israel that actively discriminate anyone for not being Jewish, often denying adequate food, water, and electricity. Another note, uh, footnote that I discovered is that, you know, the United States continues to give billions in dollars every year to Israel, amounting to at least $10 million every day to continue to support the Zionist approaches. I've got some more notes here, there, but but just kind of giving that context that, you know, we, we hear about the, the conflict in Israel and Gaza, right? Or conflict with Hamas, you know, and Israel. This is not new. This is not a conflict that just sprang up out of nowhere. This is just history repeating itself over and over and over again. That's just kind of, I guess, the basic context I want to give folks is that what we're hearing now is just a new version of the same plan. You know, when they're destroying olive trees, when they're kicking people out of their homes, when they're destroying houses or targeting ambulance drivers, it's all for the same purpose. It's all for the same reason. It's genocide. There's no real other word I can use to describe yeah. these experiences of folks. Um, so I, I'm an ally. I, I'm not Palestinian. I haven't uh, had family heritage uh, that comes from this region. So I'm just sharing what I've been learning uh, as somebody who's really interested in knowing what's happening. I know that, you know, you're not necessarily Palestinian me, but you are one of my fond friends and advocate and I just want to say he was one of the first people I really shared my story to publicly like over 15 years ago and um, I, was, I, I was really honored because he asked me to speak when he was writing his paper for school and I always remember that so like just to attest to his interest in people and caring about people it is absolutely genuine so I just want to reinforce his credibility here. <laughs> You're very sweet. You're very sweet, me. Yes, yes. Uh, I can't remember exactly what the paper was, but I had to write something. And I was like, I have someone who has the most beautiful life experience that's very different from my own. I'm going to talk to Mia. I'm like, hey, do you want to <laughs> do you want to have a conversation? I'd love to learn more about your life. I know. I love I love that. I, I feel that humans need to do that more. We really need to take mm -hmm. interest in each other and each other's stories. 
and help each other and support each other and back each other up and and pass on information and that interconnectedness and that support is is what really is going to revive humanity and i love hearing that about you too yeah, really I, mean, yeah. I was lucky enough um i was lucky enough to meet nancy uh this past saturday because we were two of the uh 400,000 people that took to the streets of Washington DC to call for a ceasefire in Gaza and it's just it's kind of the same thing you know it's it's one thing to you know know people you know very superficially on a on any social media platform whether it's here on Twitch or TikTok or Facebook or Twitter but it's another thing entirely, you know, to be boots on the ground, marching for the same cause. It was a pleasure to meet you. Another sweet soul. Really, I appreciate you. I've said this before. We need all hands on deck. You don't have to be Palestinian. This is about human rights. This is about humanity. Um, and it doesn't stop with Palestine. There's issues in the Congo as well and Sudan and, and additional places in the world. And so, you know, you don't have to be from that place um, to stand up, speak up, to march, to protest, to take action. In fact, we need people all over the world, uh, all hands on deck. So um, I appreciate you. It was really nice meeting you. Um, and we've been kind of connected since on yeah. TikTok and stuff. So I love it. Yeah, it's yeah. it's definitely a, a benefit of being in today's world is, you know, this technology stuff. It kind of brings us together, Absolutely. connects us, despite yeah. all its evils. <laughs> yeah. I, I just would add to what yeah. Nancy said Agreed. is just, you know, the liberation of Palestine is like a key to liberating the rest of the world. Yes. Honestly, because we need to share our humanity across the board. And not one person is more than the other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, as, as a professional, I, I'm a social worker, right? That's what I do. I so agree. One, one group's plight is every group's plight. And I think it's important that we raise up every, every voice we can. Atrocities are atrocities. It doesn't matter where in the world it's happening or, or who it's happening to. It's unacceptable unacceptable. For the viewers at home, uh, our panel watched a episode of Parts Unknown, Season 2, Episode 1, Jerusalem. It's a documentary series that Anthony Bourdain put together, and we watch his reactions to being there in 2013. I will leave a link in the show notes below. You are welcome to go watch that yourself. It is on YouTube. It is an excellent video just kind of a, a window into the scene of what we're talking about. And imagine the conditions that are probably in Gaza are probably worse than what we're seeing here. And it's not a pretty video um, in terms of some of the content that we're going to see. I thought it would be interesting for us to like go back to 2013 and see like what what was going on, what was going on in Israel, what was going on in Gaza, what was going on in the West Bank. Obviously, this is a, a television show. It is manicured. It is curated. You're only going to see what they choose to show you. Um, those border crossings are not that nice. <laughs> I could imagine. Uh, I've seen some other footage of what it looks like. I guess a question I want I want to put out to the panel. Um, what are you feeling right now? 
Oh, I think after everything that I know, that does that's not even the tip of the iceberg, but it's it's a, like a a peak through a crack. Hmm. Hmm. I like that. It is a peak through the crack. Yeah. I said it in the Twitch stream chat, but with that being over a decade ago now, I can't help but wonder um, if any of the Palestinians that Anthony Bourdain interviewed if they've survived the last 105 days. Yeah. I don't know if anyone else felt that, but I think that it crossed my mind as well. Yep. I do that with a lot of things that I see that are older now. Um, I feel weird. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Weird in the sense of uh, I am a, um, I consider myself to be a Christian with a brain. (laughs) aka love jesus that's my homeboy but science exists um and i be queer af so um it um it's saddening in the sense that i feel like the first thing the number one thing that everyone even those who aren't christians and maybe this is me being super emotional or basic so forgive me but the number one thing that people expect for people who believe in jesus and the people his people, um, the Jewish people, that Jesus is love. And how can you be so ugly to creations that you believe, you believe he created and he wanted to live on this planet for whatever those reasons may be, and then expect to on the other end, because you believe in heaven and hell, that when you get to heaven, if you get to heaven, that this isn't going to come up, that your savior, this person that you are killing people in the name of for whatever that reason may be, um, that he's going to be okay with that because he's not. <laughs> that's 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 yeah. not, I mean, it's legitimately, and I'm rusty. Do not get me wrong. It's been a while. No, since no, been church. But those are valid, definitely valid things to say and valid things to feel, especially being raised in the Christian religion. I mean, I, I, I didn't say anything before, but I was raised around Christianity mm-hmm. most of my life. I don't mm-hmm. consider myself one. I don't mm-hmm. consider myself Muslim either. But mm-hmm. I have seen both sides of the fence. And I have seen exactly what you're questioning and why. And you wonder, how can you do all this and expect at the end, this is going to be cool with your J-man? Right. Like they're totally yeah. cool with this. They're 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 so down for like it just that and it's it's, yeah. it's 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 um I almost wish we could do a psychological study on you can tell, I think that um I don't know who in chat who mentioned it when somebody mentioned that the answers were rehearsed when Anthony Bourdain was asking the um Oh, that was me. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the guys yes. that say that those responses are basically rehearsed. You can hear those kinds of responses from almost anyone from there, anyone mm-hmm. who supports that, that has the Zionist ideology. And I know at least a couple of us are very well aware of it because we encounter it every single day. Every day. Every, it, it just, every day. It's, it's, it's clearly a coping mechanism. It's, and I get it. I, I don't think that a lot of people over there, whether they're pulling a trigger or supporting someone that may or may not be doing that would be able to sleep at night if they had to legitimately see the real actions of what it is that they are 
co-signing. I get it. You're like, you know, it's easier to think, oh yeah, it was definitely a kid. You know, it was a kid. Oh, well, we didn't paint it over because, you know, oh, that's a great idea. Good, good point. That's you know, the minute idea, that, but you know, they were going to leave that up and you know why they were going to leave that. You know exactly why they're going to leave it up. It's yeah. like the, the delusion is, it's, a, it's, it's astounding. It's, it's sad. It is clearly, it's a clear indication of, you know, it's kind of like with children. I've worked with, I coach for 10 years and uh, my mom has worked with children for 30. So there's one, there's something that children do specifically when they know that like they are, know they are very wrong. Um, they know that what they're doing is not right. They know that they're going to get in trouble for what they're doing, where they essentially go, well, before they can accept the guilt or say admit to what it is that they did, they'll skip over the admission and they'll go, coach, well, sorry, I, that happened, but it was because, and they try to essentially justify their action before actually processing and discussing the action in which they're trying to justify to try and jump ahead of dealing with the, the negative of the issue. And I used to like, um, I'm like, uh, 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 before you say anything, you can go ahead and run and think about it. Like that was, I mean, I had other things, but you know, there it's, it's, it's human nature. Um, in one of the worst ways, I just, I'm, I'm kind of just flabbergasted. And I, I, and it's, it's sad that this was only 10 years ago, um, 10 years ago. And I don't want to yeah. freak anyone out, but you know, there are some echoes to this that I feel are very similar to things that are certainly happening with religion and, and religion control here. That is you know what definitely I mean? relevant. Yeah. We've talked mm -hmm. about it before and it is relevant. It's very yeah, relevant. So yeah, sorry. Um, so you had mentioned a factor um, about, uh, you know, only seeing what they want you to see. Um, mm -hmm just in diving in more into the um, censorship and suppression um, that the Israeli government puts into the media, um, I would not be surprised if uh, CNN had to uh, give that to uh, You have to pass it through. Yeah, so the Israeli government has people who work for them whose job is to go through the go through any media that talks about the state of Israel and they will censor it. So I would not like be it surprised. goes through filtration before any yeah. goes through to yeah. Yeah. the screen. Yeah, that's why yeah, that's why I was surprised um when um during the falafel scene in the beginning when he met when he used the phrase food appropriation. Mm, and he, yeah. yeah and he yes, talked yes. about how you know know what like like when it comes to falafel it's like uh you know it's almost like a chicken and the egg situation like no one knows where it came from the fact that he acknowledged that mm -hmm. i mean i'll be honest my first thought was oh man the israeli censor must have been must have been flipping on that one but let that yeah grow. Well, I imagine the production on all of this must have been a very hellacious, to say the least, in order to get what he had shown, shown. Yeah, but but did I still that point you made that this is just like a peek, you know, through through the fence, oh, yeah. right? And and even still, just having that little peek, you're, you're getting the vibe. To me, 
that scene when he's in the in the settler's house and he like re- resorts to like robotic Zionist mode and like starts mm-hmm. repeating you yes know, the, the script you could see like the shift in his posture and his body language yes that's funny I, you say the word script it's a script it's absolutely a script and it if is. you don't know the script has a name and it's called the Hasbara handbook and they teach them to use that when they're talking about Israel to paint it in a better light so they don't have as much opposition to what they do. They literally just give them a handbook. Here you go. Here's what you say. Wow. That's incredible. They do. I mean, what they're saying, it, it creeps me out how colonized they're they're oh they're so happy we're here. You know, we're just we're just we're- making things so much better. Things have been so much more prosperous prosperous since we've gotten here we're just living on but a we mountain we nobody wanted to them. live on it's fine yeah, yeah yeah no one wanted to live here nobody was here and like you know and then we, well, but we don't eat with them we don't, we don't eat with them either like yeah right. like it's oh it is psychological war the, ooh, it's yeah it's, it's, yeah, I mean, not- that's why um, with the, when the one scene um, when Anthony Bourdain was talking about, you know, he the they showed all the houses in the West Bank, you know, flying the Israeli flag. And if I remember correctly, he said that they were, per- I think he said that they had been purchased. No. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, no, nah, that's some of that playbook in action. They weren't purchased. They were mm-hmm. stolen. Let's oh, call it what it is. Yeah. Yeah, they were taken. They, they were Christopher taken. Columbus the heck out of those houses. They sure did. Yeah, they did. They did. Wow. So I, I guess what 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 I was going to say is like seeing that shift in the body language and the script that came out of the settler. It reminded me so much of like I've worked with a lot of LGBT folks uh, in the therapy side of my life, and like when people have families that are fundamentalist Christians, they do the same thing. They have yes, like they do. their own little scripts of yes, things that they say. And it's, it's so yes. culty. It's so culty. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And it's funny. And it's funny that you mentioned um, fundamentalist Christians, because ironically enough, um, the majority of Zionists in the United States aren't Jewish. They're evangelical they're Christians. They're Christians. Of course they are. They're, yeah. they're evangelical Christians. And it's a yeah. I mean, I won't get into that, but I do. <laughs> def- well, you know, no, I will. I will go ahead and say it. It's a thousand percent. Be it's it's race related. It is a thousand percent race related. Sorry, yes. guys. Yep. I don't want to. No, don't no, wanna, don't be sorry, because I would have said the same exact thing. It is white people who are Christians seeing the people of God who are Jewish in their mind and idealistically like, oh, no, those are Jesus's people who also happen to be fair skinned and they live like us. So therefore, I'm concerned. Darn those dark skinned Palestinians. It's a lot of the that. mental it's, gymnastics. It's of that. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it, I grew it's, up it's, around that. So I would echo that, and especially because uh, I grew up with my mother's side of the family. They are white people, Mm -hmm. and I am the not-so-white person. So if you really think about that, I have always been acutely aware of my place and the way that they behave. And uh, uh, the realization that uh, 
they're comfortable with you until you start uh, showing signs that you're not like taking Mm -hmm. all the brainwashing in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or when they realize how not white culturally in their mind, they might think that they are in similarity to them, you know, when they come Mm -hmm. over here, um, because this is where it's safe for them is what they'll say. And then they go, oh, you're not, you're not white at all. You're you're not like me at all. Like you're in their dumb yeah. American brain. Oh my God. Like you're, you're, you're actually like from the Middle East. Whoa. Which I mean, there's so many layers to like the manipulation yeah. here and how the real reaction of, I think the, Amer- like it, it, I don't think I'm so sorry. I just, it, it, it makes me really upset that a lot of the majority of older Americans, and I'm only saying older Americans because I'm pretty sure, I'm not 100% sure, but as someone who's been in marketing and social media as their day job for like 14 years, the majority of people who are digesting any type of information from just their televisions or from the basic news sources are between the age range of like, I want to say 35 to 65. Um, And I think the millennial age to like, gen the beginning of the gen x we actually derive the majority of our information from a mix sources of online sources as well as whatever we get in the media not just from our country we actually do seek sources from different country for our news news sources a lot of americans do not do that and so i remember having those conversations with both of my parents and i think they're both very different and similar in a lot of ways and i had to like you know, tell my dad, like, you need to look at these other sources. You need to check this out because you're a smart man and you already can tell something is up by the amount of all of the sudden since October 7th, um, Israel media, Jewish media, which is crazy because to not to be non-Israel does not mean that you are anti-Jew. Let's make Mm -hmm. that real clear. But that's, it is not even remotely the same, but they that is America's angle right now. And they are trying to use that to really almost guilt people into seeing things in this way for whatever deal that they've made with whoever is in charge at the top. It's it's it is propaganda all day. And it's interesting oh, yeah. to see the news sources and the newscasters that go against that get fired, get moved around get silence i know there's one guy that actually called out a a person from one of the representatives from israel on his show on cnn he got fired and now he works for al jazeera like Mm -hmm. what is going on media look at our celebrity media yes our celebrity people who are speaking for uh, for israel versus Mm -hmm. how many people and how long it took for some people to actually say something for palestine and why is that it's because we're not stupid and they're being forced to have to actually listen to the other side because we have our own source of media without celebrities and they thought they could make us think like that. And we're like, no, honey, we, 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 we're talking to each other. We know what's going on. And now they're like, stuck not only that, having to circle back. not only that, it's this. Yeah. This oh, yeah. Heavily, mm-hmm. heavily oh, yeah. tied in to what talks and what doesn't go. Yeah, I think Mm -hmm. part of the challenge with, or I guess not really a challenge, but part of like the strategy, right, in order to convince people to not stick their nose in the business of what's happening in Israel Mm -hmm. or Palestine is they just had to get people neutral. They just had to get people to 
go to, I don't care. It's too complex. It's not a big yes. deal, right? Absolutely. It really isn't though. That's no. the funny thing. It really isn't. It's really not. Yeah, and yeah, and that's why it blew my mind when I learned not that long ago um, that DJ Khaled, I always knew he was Arab, but he's Palestinian. And he yeah. has been, and he has been silent I, I for the that, last hundred and five days. And now they're getting, yep. yeah. And now they're getting on him because he's been posting to Insta. He's there's been multiple posts that he's put on Instagram where uh, he's drinking Starbucks, and Starbucks is like oh, one of, if not the number one uh, company in the boycott movement. Pretty bad, like. Yeah, I do have to say I have a different perspective than I think most people when it comes to celebrities and anyone that's on social media when it comes to speaking out. Um, I do think it's true that there are certain celebrities that definitely need to open their mouth. DJ Khaled, that's mm -hmm. dumb. You know better. Come on now. Like that is your home state. That is your lineage. Like there's so much more behind that. He, he sold, sold his soul. soul. He sold his soul. Um, he's probably, um, it's money selling your soul, but also intimidation. Um, it could very well be that they're intimidating him. We're going to, you, if you say anything, you know, there's a lot involved. Um, I'm not defending him, but I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day is, do you stand on your integrity or do you stand on protecting yourself he does not 100 percent. i that i agree with when it comes to him but personally i already don't give a shit what what's her name carly d'amelio what's her name whoever a lot of people are i don't know i'm bad with celebrities and names i've never been into them so i'm glad to see people like denounce yeah. like oh i'm not following celebrities anymore i'm like yes i never um, did yeah i went through a yes. whole period where i was like oh you're not a think 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 and just chuck them out because i was like okay i don't need that because i'm focused well, they're also they're i don't also need the distraction that's not what they're gonna do i always knew about their connection yeah. with uh with the powers that be and like i was just not into it i mean i'll watch a movie here and there if you know somebody recommends it but i'm i have never and i'm glad to see people waking up to the truth about that whole industry and all the actors you know who you should be praising is the press yeah. in Reza, yes. the journalists in Reza um human beings that are that are doing good things out there activists um those are the people that you should be following and praising and i'm glad to see this whole like hollywood thing kind of crumbling a little bit 100 it is <sighs> it's refreshing because also yeah. <laughs> and this is what i was circling back it's to they're not going to change anything i'm so sorry you can keep tweeting at someone you can keep like getting angry at them oh i'm upset you won't speak up why what are they going to do they haven't done anything before they don't have the power for the most part to do anything I, as an American who has been through a lot of shit in America as a, as a person and they didn't do anything for the stuff happening directly in front of them, we're not, celebrities aren't going to do for something for someone that's not in their own yard. And I wish that we could take that energy and that anger, because I think it is easy to blame people that are right in front of us, that we don't have an opportunity that maybe we do. Okay, so then what can we do? Who do we need to contact? Where do we need to make the phone calls to? Who do we actually like do something with like why aren't you calling your senators why aren't you trying to set up a protest why aren't we donating why aren't... there are other ways that that can go it just i will never understand personally getting angry with people who they're they, they can't do anything 
I, I, I guess I get it from this. Well, it's, they can't do anything, but I think it's the reach that yeah. they have because if a celebrity has 5 million followers and they start um, sharing information, that's going to reach a lot of people. So there's power in that. But in terms of actually them yes. actually being able to change something directly, no, they don't, they're not at the top there, you know? Um, but, you know, they have a large reach because everybody has always worshipped praised mm -hmm. celebrities. So you got 100 million people following some Kardashian mm -hmm. or whatever. And if that person were to speak up, it would reach a lot of people. And there's power in that. And so people are getting frustrated. Like, you can educate so many people. This is so important. Like, why are you sad? So I understand the frustration and the anger in that sense. Because it, it can be very powerful for people like that. In certain directions. If they know how to use it. Yes. If they if know, they how, know to how to use it. it. If they know how yeah. to use it. That's yeah. why I have so much respect for, you know, the Hadid family. You know, their father. I mean, they're half, I mean, they're half Palestinian. Their father's Palestinian. And they've basically said, you know screw our celebrity we're going to be out in the street marching for our people and i for one have never really i've never really understood you know the cult of celebrity in the united states it's always been weird to me it's so parasocial it's so parasocial it's so weird yeah and like I do and like Nancy, I do. Yeah. I, I do and like Nancy, the people that I really admire, you know, are you know the Motazes and the Bisons and the the Waldo that are risking their lives every day to get the truth out there. That is more important than any movie that any of these celebrities in Hollywood could release. Any song that DJ Khaled yes. could put out. I agree. I agree. I agree. So I, I do want to check in. Um, there was a comment, Captain Stick figure, that you made that watching that video, you were learning a lot. So I was just curious if you could share with us a little bit of what, what was really resonating with you there. Kind of all of it. Uh, this is sort of, I think it's safe to say, the first glimpse into um like palestinian culture that i've experienced like you know so it's it was fascinating to me to see not only their amazing looking food but just the way that they live in the situation that they've sort of been put yeah. in right um and and every facet of that is is fascinating to me the the relationship that you know sort of these regular people have with you know their their situation and with the confrontation with Israel and the situation uh the the um circumstances of of their lives and the things that they celebrate and how um sort of uh i i think unfortunately but also inspiringly casual they are about some of these situations like it's really amazing um how people are thriving and have as when you, you have to live with that every day you eventually get a little bit conditioned you get it's, desensitized it's life. that's their yeah, everyday right. life after a while absolutely and and as um as you said uh as many people have said that that documentary is very well manicured so there's obviously a lot of other situations that we are not seeing the the children's theater uh segment got to me uh, i thought i found that very poignant 
um, with that uh, individual talking about how, uh, despite um, a lot of the uh, murals depicting, uh, you know, activists and yeah. uh, are not if activists, you but through. you know, more the more like violent confrontation, I guess, aspect of it. But how the the kids are more interested in in art and culture. If you go to Google, in, you can look that. up like a lot of the graffiti that has been put up that depicts a lot of different movements and things throughout time. Um, for example, if you look up the uh, wall graffiti in relation to like the Black Lives Matter movement, you will see a lot, mm -hmm. a lot there. And they were tied together around that time. The Palestinians were reaching out during the movement for the protests when people were getting pepper sprayed and attacked and how to defend themselves. Um, and so they in turn were, were creating art and supporting the movement because they understood. And a lot of the techniques that the police were utilizing at that time were taught from Israel. I would highly recommend um, reading a great book by Angela Davis. Uh, it's called Freedom is a Constant Struggle. And it dives deeper into that connection between the pal between the movement for Palestinian liberation and the Black Lives Matter movement here in the United States. I think uh, another thing that really stuck out to me um, sort of holistically um, is that I don't really have um, I don't have any uh, at least not that I am aware of any Palestinian people in my sphere. I do have Arab people in my sphere and they have spoken out. I also have uh, Jewish people in my sphere closer in my sphere. So I've seen their opinions a lot and I've seen how they feel. And I have an acquaintance who just went to Israel and volunteered and had, you know, very uh, interesting stories that were very nice and inspiring and also very unfortunate and saddening. Um, but the having that more of that perspective it's interesting to see sort of the other side yeah right i remember i'm 40 i was in middle school in 1997 in social studies class learning about israel and palestine and that conflict and how old it was then and how there was just shrugs all around for what the solution would be. And to see that all that time has gone by and mm. nothing has changed is really uh, depressing. Yeah. <laughs> but also, yeah, again, I feel like just like you were saying, like many of you were saying, just being an American and particularly being a white American, uh, I feel like the perspective that I'm forced into is the is the Israeli perspective. 100%. And which is not to say that I, that, that, that there aren't aspects of that perspective that I can appreciate, but it's, it's so yeah. weighted. I, I can see that having been raised with my, like I said, my mother's family, had I not really had an opportunity to really get to embrace and understand and teach myself what I did, I would have been the same situation of having that skewed perspective and to me that's even heavier because knowing what I am now and having that those ideas would have been 
continually pushed on me. And then a lot of when this started, I realized the more that I spoke up, the more that I stuck out. Mm. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. The less that I was um, a desirable person to kind of speak to or mm-hmm. engage with. I remember seeing Mia, you posted on Facebook about, about that oh, change. Yeah. I, I remember. A lot. Oh. I posted, I posted like every single day. Yeah. I think Anthony has probably seen almost everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I was really angry. I, yeah. I felt a lot of anger and betrayal because despite the whiteness in my family, I thought that they would have taken the time to acknowledge that all of this, would have affected me deeply mm-hmm. that at the end of the day where were they to check on me yeah. where were they to echo and support and solidarity uh i don't have an answer to that it's 105 days i don't have an answer to that yeah i think in this just my opinion um yeah we saw it in we saw it as a country a lot, you know, with the Black Lives Matter protests and things like that. But I think it's just a it's a combination of white privilege and ignorance in the truest sense of the word. Um, because if you because then to your point, Captain Stickfigure, you mentioned how like you're 40 and you have been kind of, you know, conditioned to believe the uh israeli perspective as you put it i mean that didn't just start in the 90s that goes all the way back to the formation of the state of israel in 1948 um i mean the united states was the first was the first western country to recognize the state to recognize the state of israel and then in the early 1950s there was an organization i believe um, it was called the Zionist American Public Affairs Committee, I believe, and then that morphed into what we now know as APAC, the American-Israeli uh, Public Affairs Committee, and they are responsible for basically controlling our govern, controlling our elected officials. Um, you can there are various websites you can go to where you can see how much money they have given to our federal officials, but they also give money to our state officials too. And that's where you see a lot of the I don't want to say whitewashing, but it's really the best term I can come up with. And um, where you see a lot of that and pushing the Israeli agenda. I mean, we were talking earlier about the House resolution um, that passed back in November, um, uh, basically saying that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitic. Um, mm-hmm. But what a lot of people don't know is right after that resolution was passed, um, there was a law that had passed the House of Representatives, and I don't know if it passed the United States Senate or not, um, where they wanted to basically, they basically told the Palestinian Authority and Hamas, which are the two governing bodies in the occupied territories, uh, the Palestinian Authority is the governing body in the West Bank, and Hamas is the governing body in the Gaza Strip. Um, They basically wanted to pass a law that said, um, hey, we're gonna send in State Department officials 
to look at your education curriculum every year. And then we are going to write a report and tell you how you can make it more Israel friendly. And that's like, yeah, That's wild. it's just, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy if you really think about it and really dig deep the amount of control that Israel has within the United States government. Absolutely. And it's all money. It's all funds. It's all connection and religion. Um, yeah. I mean, religion, you know, this is, I mean, reasons not to make everyone think deep, but essentially religion has for as long as I feel like men have been alive, always been tied to controlling state and people in power. And so, because how, how people believe is how people will choose to spend their time and funds. And so even though we're technically not supposed to be one of those countries, we've already, women have already lost the right to control what happened to their bodies in this country because of that, even though it doesn't control our country. So I'm not surprised by any means that that's the case when it comes yeah. to where the benefactor or the money is coming from, where the, because, and it's, it's just, it blows my mind even more because if you were to legitimately like, say we were to get a, um, a Jewish president, Oh my God! You think this country would lose your goddamn mind? <laughs> they would flip the fuck out. Be like no, like like no. But because of the po- the the place that they have nestled themselves into, essentially, um, with the government and at the top of the line, I guarantee you, if somebody were to run and they were Jewish, they would find a way to like make that work at this point in time. Yeah. I'm, I know I'm talking like a conspiracy theorist person right now, but the change in media and just like conversations lately. It feels all like fringe tinfoil hat, but I mean, look at the dystopian reality that we're existing in right now. Anything's Absolutely. possible. Absolutely. You think it was impossible before? Well, think again. True. True, true, true. And there are a lot of ties of one thing to another thing. There's rabbit holes everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think to that point um, about the Jewish about the Jewish president. I mean, I think that you know certain certain people in the powers that be within the United States government um, would lose their mind. Not necessarily because of a Jewish president per se, but I think there would be a good, long, hard consideration as to whether or not that Jewish president is a Zionist or not. Oh, God, Be- yeah. Yeah, <laughs> because, oh, I mean, being in, uh, being lucky enough to be in D.C. this past Saturday, um, the Jewish contingent that is, anti- that is anti-Zionist was huge. Is that a- oh, it was? Yes. Good. That makes was, me so happy to hear. Yeah, oh my it God. was huge. Thank God. Yeah. And that's and that's the thing too, is like I, I talked to these like I when I was talking to Zionists on other platforms, um, I don't anymore because it's just not worth my time. Yeah. <laughs> um I would always I would always tell them, yeah, I would always I would always tell them um or ask them um and be like you do realize that you're advocating for a state that according to your own religion especially if they were jewish i would say you're advocating for a state that according to your own religious text should not exist until the days of the second coming 
and <laughs> yeah and they just were like oh yeah well basically the response that i would get was like something to the effect of like oh yeah well we're doing it now so uh it'll just happen when it happens speaking of that that's why that's why you're in yeah, that's why they do speaking of that i will say i had someone close to me in the beginning try to argue with me and i won't say who for the sake of production but uh someone close to me uh, decided to declare before the end of our conversation and then Yahoo was a man of God and that Hilarious. was the end of that conversation I'm glad that was the end it was the end I mean people um, they, they think that if you're not if you're if you're not white then you can't go to heaven so I mean right <laughs> but come on guys see, it's come on. the same in the absolutely. Mormon faith you know that right uh, no Mormons I, believe I, people oh, who, yeah. are, who are not yep, white yep. they don't go well, not they white stay. they don't go to heaven yes they that's yeah. correct that is absolutely correct yeah sure don't I lived in Utah <laughs> I know I've 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 Rats. had some interesting adventures in my life and have learned a lot of things and that is one of them heaven sounds awful hmm. Well, I, I don't want to be in that. Me heaven. neither. I'm, Let's I'm go party in hell. I don't want to be an all white. Right? I'm going to be knocking on the door. I'm screwed up. Like Billy Joel said, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the sins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shoot. Yeah. Ain't no way. Heaven looking ugly no if that's the case. Ill. Yeah. Oh. And, re- and real quick, um, touching on Netanyahu for those that are still with us on Twitch and for those that might be listening to this in the future. Um, Benjamin Netanyahu is not his given name. Uh, his given name is Benjamin Milikowski. Uh, he comes from Polish Jewish ancestry. And not only that, um, but I believe his father was a college professor. Um, he actually went to high school at Cheltenham Academy in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He has a degree from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And he spent time working at Bain Capital. And if the name Bain Capital rings a bell, he worked for them at the same time as retiring Utah Senator and 2012 American presidential candidate Mitt Romney. And he is also close personal friends with the Kushner family of Jared and Ivanka fame. Oh. It's a small world after all. <laughs> all right. So uh, another thing I wanted us to take a look at, if you guys have the energy still uh, to look at. So South Africa has a history of apartheid, right? Like most people, I'm assuming, understand. Like they know a little bit about that. Maybe not all the details, but we understand, right? South Africa is at the tip at the bottom of the African continent where people with with you know with melanin problems do not come from uh but for some reason the little bit of them were in control of the government were in control of the education system were in control of the police right and there was a, a two-tier system that was created uh and was you know there for a very long time that separated you know, people by skin color, right? Um, mm-hmm. apartheid. apartheid is also what's going on in Israel and Palestine, right? We have a two-tiered system. You remember hearing like the in the video um, that 
you know, in Gaza, it's on the coast, right? There's a beach there, like there's ocean. I mean, you can't go too far out, out or else you're getting, you know, get shot maybe. But, you know, mm-hmm. you can like, I did mention see that. It. But there are people in the West Bank who have never mm-hmm. been able to make it through, right? Because mm-hmm. they keep those walls closed. They prevent the migration. They prevent the movement of people. It's a two-tiered system. Like I, I think I said, there's like 50 laws, I think, that exist that physically and, and in every way separate non-Jewish people from Jewish people in terms of rights to education, rights to permits to build things, rights to <laughs> probably purchase things. And even things. if you are able to get a job and say like Jerusalem coming in from somewhere else, in a normal situation, you would only take you maybe a few minutes to an hour, depending on how far you're traveling. Going in and out can take up to like six hours or more just to get to a place. And you have to be prepared to be stopped for any amount of time. Yeah, I've heard stories from Palestinians where uh, their families live in one village and their cousins and aunts and uncles live literally the next the next village over. And they have to go through three or four Israeli checkpoints. And they make it as, as long yeah. away as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what so like like Mia was saying, what should be what should be a 10, 15, maybe 20 minute drive is hours. They're not allowed to drive on the same roads or walk on the same sidewalks. Yeah, there was a there was a video I saw on TikTok of a Palestinian woman that um I believe it was in the West. I believe it was in the West Bank. Um, the front door to her home had been welded shut because mm. it was on a it was on a street that had been deemed, like Mia said, um, that had been made illegal for Palestinians to go down. So mm. she literally had to go up on her roof and roof hop from home to home until she could find a street that she was allowed to be on. Mm-hmm. Like, let that sink in. Like, let that sink in for a moment. Like, just the utter lack of just dignity. It's just, if you think about it, it's just mind-blowing. Separate yeah. can never be equal. Amen on that. 100%. So, so going back... Um, so South Africa, who has a very you know deep history of apartheid and slavery and all of these issues, uh, they went to the international court and they filed a petition and they said, hello, international court. Hi, we're South Africa. We've got our history of things. We've got some problems that we'd like to report to you. And we have some evidence that our dear friends in Israel are, are, are committing genocide. They're violating the Geneva Convention in all of these different ways. Here, let us tell you all of the ways. Um, And so there's a documented report. And I will put a link in the show notes if you'd like to check it out yourself. Yeah, if you want to take a look at this, guys, I I think it would blow your mind. It's about 83 pages, um, 84 pages. Uh, that's put together. Uh, it's pretty easy to read. It is. It's pretty easy to read. Um, but I thought maybe uh, we could read a few excerpts. Introduction. So I'm on page nine, and it says here, 
Since the 7th of October of 2023, Israel Mm -hmm. is engaged in a large-scale military assault by air, land, and sea on the Gaza Strip. It's a narrow strip of land, about 365 square kilometers, one of the most densely populated places in the world. Gaza is home to about 2.3 million people, half of them children. Half of them children. Jesus. They've been subjected by Israel to what has been described as one of the heaviest conventional bombing campaigns in the history of modern warfare. By the 29th of October, about 6,000 bombs per week had been dropped in the tiny enclave. In about two months, the attacks have wreaked more destruction than the raising of Syria's Aleppo between 2012 and 2016, Ukraine's Mariupol, or proportionally the Allied bombing of Germany in World War II. More bombs than any of those experiences in our modern history. Destruction was so wrought by Israel is so extreme that Gaza now has a different color from space. It's a different texture. Um... And this this document that I linked in the chat is filled with examples, heartbreaking examples. Um, and this is about a month old now. This was the end of December, I think, when this report was put together. I'm sure the statistics are different now. Um, but in this report, you know, it said something like 110 children every single day are dying in Gaza from from not only the warfare, but now it's gotten to the point where they've been bombing hospitals. They've been taking yep. doctors, nurses, ambulance yep. drivers, mm-hmm. first responders, kidnapping them so that there's nowhere to go if you're sick, if you get injured, if you get hurt. And more people are projected to die simply through famine, injury, and preventable diseases than actual bombings at this point. That is their goal. Yeah, it's bad if you have a pre-existing condition. Yeah, and uh, the Israeli Defense Forces have killed more children um, on a daily average in the last 105 days than Nazi Germany did in five years of the existence of the Auschwitz concentration camp. And I think it's important that you state that for anyone who likes to think that this is something in kinds of being anti-Jewish. Yeah, and not not only that, but I believe it was in the first two weeks, so from October 7th to October 20th, the Israeli Defense Forces dropped more explosive ordnance on the Gaza Strip in that two-week period than the United States did in any single year we were were at war with Afghanistan. Pretty bad. Pretty bad. It's evident. It's, pretty bad. it's very evident, it's evident. crimes against humanity. Um, so I, I do recommend if you're interested yeah. in getting to know more, um, I will for sure put show notes uh, when I do publish this on Spotify. So anyone will be welcome to go check out that document for themselves. Um, Absolutely. But it it's it's worth the read. It's hurtful. It's painful. But it's worth the read to just inform yourself and not be subject to Zionist propaganda. This is a real document in an international court from South Africa documenting, thanks to so many people who've probably lost their lives as a result. Lives, yeah. Yeah, and one and another um, another fact, um, since, October, since October 7th, the Israeli Defense Forces have killed more journalists in 105, in 105 days than the entirety of yeah. than the entirety of the Second World War, which lasted six years, or the Viet- also yeah. the Vietnam yeah. War, yeah, 
And those are the people that mm-hmm. are getting us the information we need. It's a big reason why um, they're, well, it's not a big reason, but it's certainly one of the reasons why not too long before this, they were trying to shut down. They realize that TikTok is more than just a kid's app. <laughs> it is a way that we are able to share information with each other and keep each other in the know um, and allows anybody to kind of share what their their story. And so there are reasons why those bans are in place in certain areas. There's reasons why certain countries don't allow it whatsoever. Um, and there's and that's why they continue to try and shut it down, because that's a huge reason why they believe that us as Americans have been propaganda, are receiving Palestinian propaganda. And they're actually, aren't they trying to take it to the courts to try and have it? Well, we don't understand why there's been an up an increase in so many Palestinian sympathizers with our, with anyone who's a TikTok um, consumer. And it's just like, that's the information that's that's being shared and in actuality information and people are choosing their humanity they're Mm -hmm. choosing well not only are they choosing humanity but if it's it's funny because if it's someone who's pro-israel that is actually pushed out 10 times more likely than the palestinian information even if your fyp says one thing or another it's actually Mm -hmm. they're trying Mm -hmm. to push out that information people are the thing is it's forced so hard uh, it, it doesn't look right it's it does it. so hard it doesn't look right and no. uh, uh i don't know how many people are aware some of us are more aware than others israel has a paying campaign mm-hmm. to spread yep. propaganda yep yeah they're pay- they're paying tick they're paying tiktok creators and they're trying to can i say convert but they're trying to flip uh, pro-Palestinian TikTok creators with the enticement of uh, payments anywhere up to five thousand dollars to put out is to put out pro-Israel propaganda, and um, I I forget when this what so this number might be out of date. Um, but the Israeli government has spent over uh, one point five million dollars to get social to get social media uh creators and tiktok specifically to put out uh israel pro-israel propaganda and yet there i mean and there's been no money put out for the pro-palestinian propaganda and we can very clearly see you know by the protests that are going on who's winning the propaganda who's winning the propaganda war and it's not the state of israel they shut down New York City. They blocked like four of the major bridges yep. in in solidarity mm-hmm. for Palestine. That doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. they marched they marched all the way to JFK Airport in Queens. Yep. And they are trying to keep that quiet. Yeah. Quiet. I want to address the the question that Mrs. Yeti put in the chat because I think it's a it's a really uh, difficult one to figure out what to do with sometimes. So she says, "I know I'm famously Mormon, but I grew up in a shockingly high Jewish population. My friends fall on both sides. Is there any way or point in attempting to appeal to, to appeal to those who don't see this for what it is? I.e., there are people who have been." fed the zionist propaganda mindset and are now kind of caught in that space um 
I, I want to ask the panel first before I respond. What do you I guys think, think of that question? First thing I'll say, the first thing I'll say and preface with is to understand that when it comes to indoctrination, deconstruction does not happen overnight. Mm-hmm. And that if mm-hmm. you are, you and yeah. it's strong because I, 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 in my righteous anger and upset, it's easy to forget that some people take longer to process and do the work than you because everyone's at a different stage. Everyone's at a different stage of understanding. Having a conversation where you can at least respect each other really does matter and it helps to lay the groundwork. And it's really hard when you're so passionate about such a matter that really does feel and is between life or death. So to understand deconstruction takes time. It does take time. And part of that, part of that deconstruction is information, right? right? And, and uh, education. And I think uh, nudging people now, not all of them, you know, maybe they won't watch it, maybe they won't read it, but all you can do is nudge them towards that. And so um, nudging them towards uh, watching documentaries like Tantura, T-A-N-T-U-R-A, it's a very difficult watch, but um, that is one that can zap people (laughs) right into the truth, Um, you know, if they're they're open to it, and then sending them different resources, um, starting to... uh, um introduce them to to other pieces of information that they have not been seeing in the western media so that's that's part of deconstructing so you're you're going to want to introduce them to information yeah and this Very might important. i i don't know why this is the comparison that popped into my head um and i will preface it by saying it's a little morbid um but if you've ever heard the stories you know of how a husband poisons and kills their wife or vice versa by slipping a little bit of the poison in their food a little bit at a time until it builds up that is almost how i would treat how that is how how i would treat trying to change somebody's mind you know you could just start out with you know just small, simple facts that we as Westerners mm-hmm. and Americans specifically take for granted. Like, hey, did you know that people in Gaza, that the Israeli government has made it illegal for residents in the Gaza Strip to collect rainwater and thing and things like that and just build from there if you don't think that they are ready to dive head on into something like Tantora? Because I will admit, I tried watching Tantora and I got such a visceral reaction of anger and I only got about half an hour in I only got about half an hour into it and I believe it's about an hour and a half to 2 hours long. So it's a it, Tantora mm-hmm. is Tantora is really heavy um but like Nancy said it is um an important documentary to watch because what a lot of people don't realize is what we now consider the israeli defense forces um prior to 1948 there were three jewish militia groups in uh and not only the british mandate of palestine but even going back to the ottoman empire they're known as the haganah the ergun and the lehi 
And I'm going to call them what they were. They were terrorist groups. And those those groups um, then, once uh, Israel was, once the UN partition plan went into effect and the British left in May of 1948, uh, they became the Israeli, they became the Israeli defense forces. So, and not only that, but I think it's also important to point out that there have been numerous prime ministers of Israel that served in these terrorist that served in these terrorist groups. Uh, Yitzhak Shamir did, Yitzhak Rabin, Menachem Begin, uh, Shimon Perez, pretty much all of pretty much yeah, pretty much all, all of, of them. them. I mean, I don't know about gold in my ear, but it's a it's a prerequisite yeah. to be in that office yeah. to to have yeah. done that, you know, and and been part of that. Yeah. It's that's like their right to whatever extent. That's whatever. Yeah, but... and some of them, you know, and some of them had to change heart. You know, Yitzhak Rabin and Shimon Perez. You know, they really fought for peace, um, but it ended up costing it ended up costing Yitzhak Rabin his life. And fun fact, he was not assassinated by a Palestinian. He was assassinated by an ultra right-wing Zionist Jew. Yeah, so I, I guess a response I will add, uh, Mrs. Yeti, to that question as well. I finished my graduate education uh, 2016. <laughs> and, you know, one of the things they taught me uh, in school was like, okay, you're you're the clinician, so you've got to be a blank slate now. No, no politics, no religion. We don't talk about that in the room. That's going to compromise your therapeutic rapport. And I was like, that must be so nice for you cis straight white men to believe that your identity never enters a therapy office. That's great for you doesn't work for me in fact there are so many that seek out specific people to fit their needs and you know the the election season since i got out of grad school has been rife with right-wing propaganda here in the united states with conversations very not too dissimilar like i said that shift in body language of that settler that i saw it's the same process that happens here when people get you know indoctrinated into the fox news world um i'll call it that you know i would say one thing to add to just because you brought up you know going to school my partner didn't grow up really knowing a lot about anything having to do with palestine israel and why it was the way they were until he was in college until he was learning and, and speaking to the other student body groups that were, uh, you know, protesting. And he just had a peek, again, another peek into the crack of what was going on. And he still didn't know entirely what was going on until recently. And I've had to make it a point to share and grow together. We've had so many conversations. He's been, luckily, super supportive, super understanding, has been my rock. But um, it's a process of learning and, and getting this information because it doesn't mm -hmm. come to everyone all at once. Not everyone knows where to look. They don't know where to start. Also, the way every individual processes information is a little different um, and the pace is going to be different. The comprehension 
is going to be different. They may have to re repeat it more than another. Like it's it's so different. It's it very individualistic the way people wake up to something or learn process information. Like it's it's different for everyone. Yeah. So yeah, I think a different way of of putting the advice you got about poisoning people. Um, sometimes a little <laughs> a little a little osmosis works well. You know when. When you have a friend, can we compare it to something like microdosing something? <laughs> yeah, microdosing. Microdosing. Yeah, microdosing is good. I was blanking on that. I was blanking on that term, but yeah, that's exactly what yeah, I was exactly. trying to say. I think the other other strategy that goes hand in hand with that is is the magical power of cringe. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but when somebody says something that's out of that, you know, that that book that you're talking about. Yeah. If you can find a way to say something that doesn't outright call them out, but gives them just that little bit of cringe that they don't like, that can be oh, such yeah. an effective tool. <laughs> because if you point out like they're wrong, well, of course, the wall is going to go right back up oh, like, easily. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. if you can give them a little sense of questioning, give them a sense of wondering, you've done a great job of trying to help them to deconstruct and it takes time we were talking about like you know like social media suppression earlier um you know and there have been a lot of great you know TikToks that i have seen where they've been like my favorite one my favorite one still and i wish i could find it again um was uh, a TikToker was making uh hummus and that was all you saw on the screen, you know, was like him physically making hummus. But and then he so subtly related it to what's been going on since October 7th that like you didn't even I watched it probably, you know, five or six times before I really before I stopped paying attention to what he was cooking and what he was saying. So like it's almost like if you can trick so like if you if you come across somebody that's on the fence necessarily which i don't understand why you would be after 105 days but that's another topic and and all the footage yeah. that is available like i would just direct them to the every like most people have instagram nowadays i personally i would just be like go watch Mata's, go watch Bisan, go watch all that then yeah. come back to me all right i i, I don't like sometimes I don't have the patience or the tolerance to sugarcoat and like, oh, let me let me baby them, let me coax them. We don't have time for that. Yes. There's a full blown genocide happening. Yeah. Go watch Maltez and then uh, come uh, back yeah. to me, all right? <laughs> and tell me all if right. that's okay yeah. what you just saw. Like, is that okay? Do I need to have a sit in and like I have like the projection thing now and I create a presentation with PowerPoint? I could provide <laughs> all of that. The fact is, I don't know if people are going to come, but then they'll just say I'm trying to indoctrinate them, right? Yeah, I forget whose TikTok live stream I was in, but it was just a few days ago. And this uh, person came up onto the panel in the live stream, and they were very clearly what I now refer to as a baby Zionist, because you can tell the ones that have been doing it since October 7th because you can tell the ones that have been doing it for the last 105 days because as a pro-Palestinian, I know what they're going to say 
before they say it. But this person came up and was like fumbling over their words and was like, well, do you condemn Hamas? Do you condemn the actions they did on October 7th? And the host Remember and when I we were, talked about a rite of passage? This is like yeah. the rite of passage. Yeah. And the host and I were both like, uh, dude, like, it's 105 days in. You're asking stuff that was like played out on like day 25. Like, mm-hmm. did you not get the updated script? Like, are you getting. Yeah. Are you. Update. Uh, yeah. I didn't get the update. No, they need to catch up. They're behind, like, with, you know. Yeah, and, like, for a lot of these these Zionists that I've seen on other platforms, the best way I've heard it described is, like, they're coming. It's like what it would be like watching a television. It would be like watching season five of your favorite television show while completely ignoring seasons one through four and just acting like, like season five is the beginning. And you know they come in, like mm-hmm. they'll come in, and they'll be like, and in the begin, and in the beginning, obviously it was like October seventh, October seventh, October seventh, and you would come back with, yeah, well, what about you know Sabra and Shatila in nineteen eighty in nineteen eighty two, you know Darius Seen in nineteen forty eight, you know Jenny the the massacre in, in the Janine refugee camp in the West Bank in two thousand two. And their response would always be, well, what about October 7th? And it's like, they, it's like there's some weird cognitive dissonance where they're just like, they can't ignore, like if, and I don't know, like, I, and I notice it a lot in what I'm assuming are younger millennials slash older Gen Z. And I don't know if it's like, the fact that like the closer you get to gen z just attention span as a whole has just completely deteriorated if you're gonna but give it's like, me a conversation it, i need a video of like that little guy running in order to pay attention. yeah exactly like they refuse so i'm looking at the chat on my phone right now um and mrs yeti whiskers actually asked a good question um they asked can i ask what the best possible solution you hope for is um, and I personally believe, so to kind of give a little context, um, there are two paths um, that people generally consider, um, one being what is known as the two-state solution, um, where Israel would continue to exist, um, and what is now the occupied territories of Uh, The Gaza Strip and the West Bank would become the state of Palestine. And then I, the one I personally believe in is a one state, is a one state solution. And the reason that I personally believe in a one state solution, and this is a question that I post to Zionists that they never seem to have an answer for, is I believe in a one state solution because we've seen over the past 75 years what Israel has done to the occupied territories in Palestine. And I personally don't believe that they would respect Palestinian sovereignty if there was a two-state if there was a two-state solution. I think we would just see more of the same. And so I personally believe in a one-state solution, just everybody living together like they were prior to 1940. Prior to 1948. Yeah, same. I would agree. That's my solution as well. I mean, if somebody comes to my home. 
uh, steals it, kicks the shit out of me, abuses me, and then comes around and is like, hey, let's split the house now. I'm going to be like, no, give me my damn house back. Okay. Um, if you're going to be peaceful and everything, I mean, you can live right over there. You can build your house, but this is my home. This is my land. Um, and we can live together, but like, it's just weird. You know what I mean? Like two state just doesn't, it doesn't sit right with me. Um, we need to go back to how we said, like how everything was before. But the problem is that, I'm sorry, they, they've created so much division and hatred and chaos in the land and within the people that it's like, even if we were to be like, okay, it's Palestine, everybody can live here if you're peaceful, but I, I don't know how that would actual, actualize. With the, with, the, with the current population, because before the early 1900s, everybody lived there, uh, coexisted harmoniously. Um, it wasn't just Palestinian Arabs. There were also ethnic minorities. There were also Jews, um, al although they were a minority as well. And it was all fine, but th there wasn't the brainwash yet. There wasn't the hatred yet. There wasn't confusion and chaos yet. So... Even if we were to, let's say, if they were like, all right, it's Palestine, I'm just like, okay, how, how are we going to sort this mess out? But in terms of what it should be, it should absolutely be, be Palestine. Uh, and, yeah, and, my, and my thing too, opinion. and I realized this a while, a while ago, um, is there's such a disconnect between, you know, the Gaza Strip and the West Bank, geographically speaking. Yeah. Are you going to give a Palestinian state everything between the Gaza Strip and the West Bank? And at that point, why not just make yeah. it a why not just make it a single state and let everybody travel freely? Mm -hmm. I I also wanted to touch on something because I don't think we have yet is uh, there's a a big divide on people's interpretation and and, and the divide being between Zionists and the Palestinians and pro Palestinians, right? Of the phrase from the river mm -hmm. to the sea. I think Nancy and I are both very familiar with that phrase. Having mm -hmm. said it for years and years and years and years, people believe that that just means that we want to ultimately eliminate the Jewish people. You and that colonizers. Is not, oh, my gosh. I know. And, and, and that we would want to exterminate them. And that's not what it means or what it's about at all. It's about from the river to the sea our people will have equal rights and be free the whole entirety of the land everyone the whole entirety of land. and that means everyone the jews and the palestinians who also come in every flavor of faith have equal rights to the land to coexist but that we get to coexist as they did exactly so i just wanted to add that because as they did because the, the, the arguing point is always, you say that, and that means that you want to unalive people, that you want to create another Holocaust. And they say this to, to distract from the fact that we are saying that this, what is happening now, is actually genocide. Mm -hmm. And that's calling for liberation is us calling for their extermination. So I just want to make that clear. Well, it's a very narcissistic tactic to flip things. Oh, you know, yeah. Like they will flip, you know, because I, I think those of us that, those of us, no, yeah. I know I'm, I'm saying to the viewers, like if you are familiar with what's been going on, um, I know not all of you are, but if you are familiar with it, you can see that this is like narcissism 101. It's psychopathy 101. 
what a narcissist does is mm-hmm. they they flip flip things on you, right? So whatever they're doing, they blame you for that. Um, so they're projecting, right? Because they're they're committing genocide. So it's like, oh my god, how dare you say from there you're going to genocide us? Like, what? No, calm down. This is an oppressed people, and this is their emancipatory slogan. They want emancipation. They want liberation. This has nothing to do with slaughtering you. Uh, in fact, before the early 1900s, everybody was welcomed in. They weren't atta- they weren't like ready to to beat you up when you arrived to Palestine. They're like, no, come, come, come. I'm gonna feed they you. Come over. Let's have some coffee. They just want liberation. This is about liberation. That slogan is an emancipatory slogan of oppressed people that want liberation. Yeah, and if you want to talk about the people that really don't care for those of other faiths and ethnicities. Um, you can find video on you can find video online of Zionist Israelis spitting on Christians, and you can find you can find videos online of uh, police officers in Jerusalem assaulting Orthodox Jews because they are not Zionist enough, but yet. They've done yeah. such a great job over the last 75 years of dehumanizing the Palestinian people that they have the entire world, they have the entire Western world fooled. And it's only within the last 105 days that the majority of the Western world has woken up and said, hey, you know what? Maybe what you've been, maybe like what we've thought for the for the better part of the last century isn't true. I mean, another example, another example would be um, three Americans went on a what's known as a birthright trip, which is basically an indoctrination into Zionism trip. I'm gonna call it what I'm gonna call it what it is. I'm gonna call it what it is. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. How it is. Um, yep. So basically, they we don't have to sugarcoat everything. Yeah. Here, <laughs> so so basically, yeah. So basically, they will take American Jews, and I believe, I believe, um, it's encouraged that you be Jewish to go on a birthright trip, but I don't believe it's a prerequisite or a requirement. Um, but they basically t- take you to Israel for two weeks. You know, you go to all the touristy hot spots, and they tell you how great the state of Israel is. Um, well, it was just back, I believe, late October, early to mid-November, maybe, um, there were three American teenagers who started asking questions about Palestine. And they got kicked off their birth, they got kicked off their birthright, they got kicked off their birthright trip, kicked out of the hotel, nowhere to go. And you know who took them in for the remainder of the two weeks? A Palestinian family. And they have made posts on social media saying how welcomed they were and how just how everything they learned about Palestinian people couldn't be further from what they actually experienced. That warms my heart. That's so interesting. And I just, I don't want to sound like petty or anything weird about it, but like the hospitality of Palestinians, it's, it's so strong. It's so strong. It's amazing. It's amazing how these people have been oppressed for so long. Um, if it if it were me, and I mean, yes, I'm not Jewish and I'm from there, but I'm from up north. Our village is up north. Um, it's not in the West Bank. It's not in Gaza. But if I were in their shoes, 
uh, in the West Bank in Gaza, I would have lost my damn mind, okay? But these people still are able to maintain, not only maintain their humanity, but they're so warm, they're so kind. They're like, listen, this is wrong to do to anyone. But when you see that these people are one of the kindest, warmest people you'll ever meet, there's just that extra layer of like, that gives you chills of it just being so disgusting. And it's not just me because I'm biased because I'm Palestinian. Like I've had people that have traveled the world, okay, that said that, yes, I've been to Palestine and they are so friendly. They're one of the friendliest people I've ever met, the Palestinians, um, despite what they have gone through. Despite the horror that they have been put through, they're still, their heart is still there and they're so warm and they're so friendly. And I hope everyone will get to go one day and meet them. And before I cry, I'm going to stop. And the Middle East and the anti-Islam propaganda in general also, um, it, it's been very potent with the mind control. Like they've been going hard with it and mind control. Uh, human mind the human mind is very programmable um and you can program it for for bad things and you can program it for good things uh for example with hypnotherapy right if you want to help yourself and you want to um heal or you want to quit smoking whatever it is hypnotherapy is great and that that works on that premise of reprogramming the mind um but what the powers that be have done is that they've been programming people um and through society and everything i mean this is a lot to to talk about but uh, programming, you're programmed from birth, from birth, basically. And um, there are certain areas, certain people, certain topics that they've been really going hard with the mind control. And that's, you know, the Palestinian issue is one of those things. And when somebody is successfully mind controlled, um, it, it they can't think for themselves. Um, it overrides the heart. So empathy is kind of wiped out. Yeah, just uh, it almost feels like they don't have a soul because they'll see the horrific things, but they'll just look the other way. Ah, it's justified. You know, they'll try to justify it, which is crazy, right? To see horrific things. That's the power of mind control. It starts with the mind and they and they know that. They know the power of the mind and how programmable the mind is. And so they go for that. They means the 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 group, whatever. That I believe there is people at the top uh, or beings or whatever they are. I don't know that they're not human to me. Um, that you know that control the world. They they have their 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 uh, grip um, on everything. And I just want to say real quick before Mia picks up because she wants to say something. You know those those that I'm talking about were the same ones behind the Native American mm -hmm. thing that happened. Uh, the ones that came here, genocided the Native Americans, did all the copy. It's the same thing. What's happening over there? Same, same it's tactics, same paste, strategy. Copy paste. Copy paste. Okay, they always do it everywhere. Copy paste. So, I mean, Native America. It's it's the biggest genocide ever. It's insane when you look into it. The numbers, um, what they did, the tactics, the strategies, and everything. Um, so they dominated over here. Now they don't want they want to dominate the Middle East. It's all about domination and it's coming from somewhere. Of programming it and how we kind of slip into that. And, and and you notice how like people that really get sucked into it, especially when it comes to uh Islamophobia, xenophobia, you know, general anti-Arab rhetoric. The people that take that <laughs> and then commit crimes based on have you ever looked at their criminal photos and seen the expressions on their faces? Never taken the time. There's something vacant there. 
Mm. There's something that is can can tend to be a little bit disturbing, and I point that out because I, I believe I I've told Anthony and I've told Nancy. Uh, I am a victim of a hate crime. My family's victim of a hate crime. My father, over 30 years ago, was martyred here in the United States because he was a Muslim, because he was Palestinian. So that is another reason why I do what I do. And that person who did it was our landlord. This was someone that my father had conversations who were very proud and very open and very hospitable and sharing his culture, his background, what he believed in. This other person was a very indoctrinated, extreme uh, just driven by the programming that Nancy mentioned and it caused him to act and snap. Unfortunately, that led to an unaligned father uh, that led to me not growing up within my culture because I was so separated. From it. I ended up having to live with the repercussions of that and that leaves huge ripple effects. Yeah. But the reason why I bring that up is not just to make it about me, but also just to point out when I see, I see the patterns of that, because when you look at the more recent crimes here in the United States that are related to what's going on, you heard about the, the three boys, three college boys who were attacked, the little boy in Illinois and his mother, who were also attacked by their landlord, and the young boy was also a lot. So when I see that, it resonates with me, not only because of my pain, but because I'm recognizing how and why that happened. And I want people to understand that because, you know, we're not just saying this just to try to only convince you in this fringe sort of way. It is very true that the psychological effects of the way people are manipulated by the propaganda and the rhetoric being forced upon us for years really does cause some severe issues and and it really does hurt people for years even after a single act and now when you look at what the way that they justify what is happening overseas and the mentality behind that and and the way they say oh but it's okay because but is it is it and you have to look at the way that the people who say these things behave as they say so because that is what happens because of that programming. Yeah, and me, I just want to say real quick, and I've said this to others, Amal, I'm sure you know I said this to her too, never say that, oh, it's not that I'm making this about me, I don't want to make it about me. Never ever say that. Please always share your story because I want to see more and more people sharing their stories. It's very important. It's not just all about just the facts and the logic and the technical stuff, we need to hear personal stories. It is very important. So blast it proudly. It's sad, it's tragic, but do not hesitate to share it. The world needs to hear it. We are real people and this does affect us. Whole ass humans. This is not something I taste for clout. This is not something I look to be a special, you know, snowflake about. This is who I am. This is the life that I've led the 36 years that I've existed on this earth. And I can't ignore that. I can't erase who I am just to please and comfort others in the bubble that they've existed in blissfully. I had to be acutely aware of my existence and, and how 
it's come to be. Now, you're not going to tiptoe to make people comfortable. In fact, your story is very important to be heard so that people can realize what's been going on. And this is another person with the story that relates to the, every, the, the whole topic that we're talking about. People need to hear more of these personal stories. Like I said, it's not just about the facts and, you know, 19 whatever and this and that. We need to also hear the human side of it, the suffering, uh, the details on that end as well. So whatever like don't ever think oh they're gonna think it's for clout mm -hmm. or they're gonna whatever let them think people are always gonna think whatever they're gonna think yeah but you gotta speak your i just truth. want that to be said because when people come to other people who are like me they're gonna throw things like that at them and i want them to understand that it is okay to say what you need to say but this is also what motivates me yeah and i agree wholeheartedly wholeheartedly with nancy um because as a white person that as a white person that acknowledges my privilege it's important to hear those stories because those are stories that i will that i fully acknowledge that i will never experience i will never know what it's like to go through what you went through and that makes hearing those stories at least from my perspective as a white person, all the more important to hear. Like I could fill a book with the ripple effects. Let's just put it that way, you know? And uh, I look forward to reading that it, memoir someday, Mia. One day, one day. I, I promise not to put it off for forever though. <laughs> so there's a an interesting book. I don't know if you guys have encountered it. It's called On Killing by a man named David Grossman. He was a military trainer and uh, scholar. And so in his book, he references his theory of what he calls the safety catch. The safety catch is this basic idea that it is not within our default settings to be able to murder. It's just not part of who we are as, as a human, human being. In order for that safety catch to drop, there has to be certain reasons for that to happen. And so he talks about the history of military issues during, you know, World War One, you know, we had shell shock, right? This, you know, precursor to what we now know as PTSD. All these guys were, were shutting down. They were dissociating. They were trying to like figure out how to rectify this understanding that I'm having to fire this gun at someone who looks kind of like me on the other end of that. That is really hard to process as a human being. And one of the big challenges in the early military history, even before, you know, World War I, uh, was the misfire rate. Basically, you would have the guy aim and he'd purposefully miss his target. That misfire rate was huge in a lot of our earlier wars. That's why we have firing squads, right? You had 10 guys aiming at a dude because then we can all have the plausible deniability. Maybe it wasn't my shot. Maybe it was the other dude, right? The idea is that in order for that safety catch to drop, they had to manufacture the conditions where it could work. And he writes in his book about how military training changed in the 70s with the Vietnam War, at least in the U.S. I don't know about internationally, but in the U.S., our soldiers went through psychological training. They went through brainwashing. They went through a process that turned off the switch. And that's why we got massacres like My Lai. That's why we got all of these awful things that were televised that were being committed by our American soldiers in Vietnam, because they figured out how to turn it off. 
the CIA and developed that program. They knew how to do it. And I imagine they didn't turn it back on for some of those guys. They ended up real messed up for a very long time. Families, again, the rippling effects of these things because PTSD doesn't just affect an individual, it affects everybody. And that's the kind of training that has been manicured, it has been perfected, it has been shared with our allies. 100%. Yeah, and if you think about it too, it was it obviously wasn't nearly to the extent that we see today, you know, with social media and things like that. But Vietnam specifically was the first American conflict where we as American citizens were not I don't want to say in real time, but we're hearing firsthand accounts of what was going on and, you know, realizing that, you know, it's not adding up and people were questioning, well, why are we, why are we over there? And when, you know, and when you're an American, when you're an American GI coming home from Vietnam and, you know, and, you know, you're getting spit on in the airport and you're being called a baby killer that can mess you up psychologically just as much as what you went through when you were in Vietnam. And I don't think that necessarily gets talked about enough when it comes to Vietnam. It's not being widely reported on because as we mentioned, you know, the Israeli government manicures what they, they put under-report out. things. Yeah, but I have read articles where there are reservists in the Israeli defense forces that have been sent home from Gaza that are waking up from nightmares that they are having because of what they did to the Palestinian people. Because it's not in our nature to do that. We are not born to do that. And it has devastating effects on everybody. I guess a comment I want to make when I was reading through the report and just seeing other updates that made me think about was because so many families are, are being destroyed, so many people are losing everyone in their family, not just one person, not just a distant cousin. There are some people who are losing their whole families. When I think about like, what is something that's traumatic and what is something that is not? To me, it's about what is around you while you're going through this experience and what is not. And I remember having a conversation with somebody when we were talking about the border wall and the, and the chaos that was happening here between U.S. And, and the U.S. and Mexico. They were taking families and separating these children from their parents. You are guaranteed that that child is going to develop some PTSD. If that child's with their parent, it significantly reduces that, right? Because part of what helps us defend against the manifestation of PTSD is having our community, having our supports, knowing that we're not alone. And that's just not the case in Palestine right now. Whole families are being yeah. destroyed and it's going to impact for a long time the development of these human beings as they're going through this. That's just like one small microcosm of all of the damage here. But I, as a psychotherapist, it really sends out these alarm bells. What we watched is, I mean, what we watched is obviously 10 years old. Um, right now, there are 2.2 million people living in the Gaza Strip. And 
roughly half of those are children are children and just since october 7th and nancy and mia correct me if i'm wrong but there have been what is it 1800 families wiped off the registry since october 7th i don't rem- i don't know the the exact number but yeah. i wouldn't be surprised yeah yeah there's been a lot there's been a lot that the the entire family name yeah. has been wiped out like there's no more of that lineage i've seen a whole That's list it. of an entire family that was wiped out for example uh I, my dad's best friend who i would call an uncle as an adopted uncle uh, he had has family there. I think it was near the first month, month and a half, 17 members, 17 members. It, it, all it takes is an instant and it's uh, the most horrific. And we, can, we can't even wrap our minds around that, right? Because there are so many people that I know that have lost cousins, aunts, and it's it there there have been relatives it's not one or two people i can't even count because i don't even know how many people of my family that were left 17 like do you all realize 17 he lost 17 yeah, and that people. and this and the scary and saddening and maddening part is to most americans losing 17 family members would seem like a lot but when it comes to what's been going on over the course of the last 105 days 17 is low. There are there are people in Gaza that have lost 50, 60, 70, upwards of 100 family members. There are children that have no family members left and on top of it they're now crippled. And they they've lost limbs and they their half of their face is bandaged and on top of losing all, not one single family member is left. It's just that. So one of the big challenges a lot of people faced with the pandemic, with COVID, is because of the restrictions that were in place, a lot of people died alone. They died without their family. They couldn't see them. They couldn't Mm -hmm. be there. Imagine how many people are not being recovered. How much grieving cannot happen Mm -hmm. for these families, for these kids, for these people? It's You don't really get room to to grieve properly. You don't because they're under constant bombardment. It's going to have to happen later. And I can imagine that's going to be very ugly and very intensely difficult. Um, In terms of right now i mean if you've seen the footage and they identify them and they look at them as their child or sister or brother or mother whoever has passed away and right in front of them they're in constant bombardment like mia said and they're under such pressure and stress that they can't even like you'll see them be like okay okay that that, we gotta go like that's it you know and they're trying to cry and they're trying to say goodbye and they're they're holding and hugging and you have the other ones prying them off of the body and not not out of just being mean or anything like that. It's because they got to keep going. They got to keep moving. They got to keep up. They got to. And it's so sad to see them pry them off yeah. while they're crying and and stop the 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 goodbye that's happening because again because they have to just hustle. There's so many bodies. There's so much to do. There's so much chaos. And there's only so many hands that can handle doing the jobs that need doing. Yeah, Absolutely. and it was so yeah. bad in the beginning. I'm sure you've heard stories, Mia and Nancy, of families swapping children swapping children like a father would give his brother one of his sons and take one of his nephews 
just simply so the family just so that the if their if their respective houses were to be bombed that the entire family wouldn't be killed yeah like i couldn't imagine like that and that's like almost playing like russian roulette and then some family and some families it's all or nothing they all stay in the same house together because if they're gonna go they don't want to go without each other they want to go together yeah. Because they would rather do that than leave Gaza. So we could we could continue to go on about I know experiences, but I I, I want us to we transition had a, long a little bit time to do it. if it's okay to have some conversation about like okay, it's shocking, it's gross, I feel icky in my tummy. Yeah. Okay, what what do I do? Hi, hello. I don't know what to do. I'm just a little American. What's happening? Ah, right. So <laughs> yeah. I think one thing I want to say that is really important, and, and you guys are more than welcome to, to chime in here, is education. That is the first thing that you can do to figure out what's going on to learn the history. I have a link if you want to check it out. Just some Palestine 101 here. You know, if you want to get yeah. some of the facts, go check that out. It's a website. It's kind of interactive. There's some pictures. I have a, a suggestion too. Because we've mentioned about Palestinian hospitality so much and the things that are going on. If you look up a local, like if you can, because I know not every town has one, look up where the mosque or a masjid is and you can go and they'll invite you in and you can ask them to learn about things yeah i super appreciate all of the conversation that has happened tonight i i feel like (laughs) i was a little bit more of a, a bystander to it uh but i am more than happy to listen and i i i really really value the voices that i have heard tonight and you've 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 affected me greatly and my perspective on this situation has changed uh not that i was necessarily you know thinking of it in the opposite way but as a person who was you know maybe unsure of exactly how to perceive everything there's a lot of information and there's a lot of misinformation to parse through and it's tough when you know, you don't necessarily have the frame of reference for that. So I, I really, really appreciate having the opportunity even just to sit in on a conversation with people who are so directly connected to this situation. All three of you uh, have such wonderful things to say. And Nancy and Mia, especially having such a personal connection, won't go on any further. But thank you so much. I really, really, truly appreciate this time. Effector, thank you for having me on. Thank you for joining. I really appreciate it. Thank you for hearing us and and thank you for being open and sitting with us. And I wanna see more and more of this happen because this is exactly talking about, well, what do we do? This is one of the things that we need to do. Um, And thank you for uh, sitting with us, listening to us. Um, I appreciate you. Yeah, uh, the pleasure was entirely mine. We're all students of the world too. So it's the growth mindset matters and, and it's appreciated that you're here just to listen and learn with us. Yeah, and learning is, I mean, learning is is an ongoing journey. I mean, I know I said I've been, you know, studying this for years, but I'm always learning. I'm always learning something new every day about the, about this, you know, about this genocide. And it's realizing, realizing that you don't know what you don't know 
I think is key in situations like these because you can come in like we I mean me and Nancy we, we see it all the time on we see it all the time on TikTok you know these Zionists that just come in and they spout the same bullshit that we've been hearing for 105 days and you just like you just go down the checklist it's like no that's been debunked no that's been debunked like can you please come at us with some new topics like they don't even have to be factual just come at yeah. us with something yeah. different and then when you yeah. re- and then yeah. when you refute them it's like they they just they're so quick to they they either do one of two things they either pivot or it's what about da 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 da, da. acknowledge you, i guess the point that i'm trying to make and i'm sorry i'm so long winded is Knowing, acknowledging that you don't know what you don't know is key because you can come, you can come into spaces like this and be humbled very quickly. But if you come in willing with a willingness and an eagerness to learn, that's key. That's key in my opinion. Yeah, a hundred percent agree. I mean, I said before, but I think like the loudest voices in my ear over this whole scenario have been from uh, an Israeli or a Zionist perspective and i can see in you know pieces of information and i can say that doesn't sound i'm not i don't know if i'm on board yeah but where do i go from there and you know that that desire for for learning and desire for for knowledge is what brought me here uh tonight and i again i just super appreciate everyone's uh input and your perspective thank you take care have a wonderful night everyone bye good night Bye now. So yes, education is important, y'all. Is important. Just learning. Um, yeah. And that's part of why I wanted to uh, have this talk on my little platform here because that's something I can do, right? I can I can go on the internet and I can say hello. You and, can be the person that starts the conversation. Yeah, yeah, we can have these conversations. I can do some research, right? And kind of pass it along right like if you didn't know here's some history if you didn't know here's what's happening if you didn't know it's always been happening guess what no i think i think that's the first thing that we can do really inspire oh thank you mrs yeti (laughs) is to just really be learning have these conversations if you have people in your circle that you've been feeling uncomfortable because maybe they're palestinian check in with them if they feel like they want to talk talk Treat them with kindness. Treat They'll them talk with to kindness. You if you treat them with kindness. Absolutely. You don't know what a person's going through, but treat them with kindness because I can guarantee you, if you treat a person with respect when they're going with through something, they're bound to open up to you, and uh, you can learn something from them. But uh, treat them with kindness first and foremost. And, and I think the point Mia made that we are all students of the world, right? Education doesn't stop. I believe that one hundred percent. It never stops. Education doesn't stop just because you hung out in my Mm -hmm. stream and we talked for, I don't know, almost four hours about this, right? (laughs) There's always more to learn. So I'm going to link your TikTok channel, Nancy, in case anybody wants to go go vibe. Nancy uh, hosts (laughs) these types of panels a lot on TikTok. A little bit of a different space uh than twitch provides it seems like you guys get way more randos from the fyp than i ever do (laughs) but if you guys want to learn more or continue to be part of these conversations like please go follow nancy on tiktok she goes live mia's there 
we're all there. We're just vibing. Um, Where Nancy is, I tend to linger. Yeah, all three of us are are there. Yeah, we're we're linked. Uh, any other comments on education or resources you guys would suggest? Um, like I was saying earlier, you can go to like a Moscow Masjid, Masjid just to kind of get a, an idea of the people there. Or even if you're curious about, you know, Palestinian people in particular, you can ask if there's anyone that's Palestinian that would be willing to talk to you. Um, so you can understand because I can guarantee you, you know, a lot of people will, will open their doors and their minds up to you if you're willing to be humble and, and, and be honest that in your curiosity. As far as other materials, I would say the documentaries. We've talked about Tantura, which can be a really hard pill to swallow. Um, Nakba 1948. Um, there is one that is called uh, Palestine, Palestine. Like I have a short list and it, it's, it's, it's endless, but there's like, I am Palestine. There yeah. are a lot of major movies and just like made for documentary specific movies that can give you a, a, just a taste that just kind of give you a taste of, of the experience and, and, and uh, the knowledge. Uh, there's one that's called Letters to Palestine. That sounded very interesting to me. Letters to Palestine, it's 2010. It says, Letters to Palestine gathers the voices of our people to read their letters never sent to the Palestinian people living under occupation. Young and old, these correspondents are given a unique chance to send Palestinians their love and their stories. I would say if for some of these, go to Vimeo. Because they have documentaries on Vimeo that are over a year, two years. They have stuff that's like 14, 15, 16 years old that have just been kind of sitting there neglected um, because of all the other media streaming websites. And you can go there and just type in Palestine. And I think there was, when I looked, there was like 16,000.3 results per videos that popped up under Palestine and you could go there just sign oh, that's, up I was going to mention YouTube too. yeah YouTube yeah. too for sure the only thing I would say with YouTube YouTube if you just look up life in Palestine there are also YouTubers um I can't remember his name right now but he went there to visit he has a friend who's Pal he's not Palestinian he has a friend who's Palestinian this was a while back um and he vlogged like his time there and you can see him hanging out with the Palestinian family and being shown around. So just even watching things like that, um, you said Vimeo. So I, I was thinking to also add in about oh, YouTube, yeah, just watching little clips, vlogs, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I do want to mention, oh, I'm sorry. No, Mia, go ahead. I want to make sure you're fully done before. Oh, I, I was going to say, in. just be careful because I'd like, uh, I feel like there's been a lot of content there, but there, for a period of time, uh, YouTube was, or someone, I don't know if it was the powers that be or what, but there were certain videos that are getting scrubbed that have been there for years until the conflict mm -hmm. started. So some yeah. of the videos that should be there yeah. aren't. So which is, which is why I brought up Vimeo because it's been easily forgotten. Um, and there's a lot of like more documentary sort of style but absolutely look at the vloggers too because if you look at the stuff that's you know prior to what's happened just this year you're going to get a glimpse of what's been going on and it's good to have those different perspectives yeah i forget the name of it it was a documentary made in the 80s 
by Edward Said, um, a prominent Palestinian historian, and I'm totally blanking on the name of it, but I know you can find it on YouTube. Um, and another one that I would recommend, and I know, and this one I know you can find on YouTube because I watched it. Um, I would highly recommend watching The Occupation of the American Mind. It's a documentary that delves into just how much APAC uh, not only controls our politicians, but our media as well. I have delved so deep into this that I just finished a book called Rise and Kill First uh, by... It was written by an Israeli reporter by the name of Ronan Bergman. Um, and it basically, it delves into the history of Israel's uh, use of assassinations. Um, and it goes all the way back to the beginning of the British mandate in 1917. And how those um, three groups that I mentioned earlier, the Haganah, the Ergun, and the Lehi, would assassinate prominent i mean they assassinated they would they were assassinating you know nazis in the 40s that would come to is come to you know palestine to you know hide out from their war crimes and then you move into you know the 50s and 60s they were assassinating you know egyptian scientists that were um helping you know egypt develop a missile program there's a very twisted history when it comes to the state of Israel, that they have done an excellent job of keeping quiet. But the information is out there. Two more books that I, um, well, three more books that I would recommend. Um, I would recommend uh, The Hundred Years War on Palestine by Rashid Khalidi. I would also recommend The Ethnic Cleansing of Palestine by Ilan Pape. And I would also recommend On Palestine, which is a, it's basically a transcript of a conversation between uh, Noam Chomsky and Ilan Pape. If you want something very heartfelt and a uh, very beautiful film type of 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 uh, uh, of thing, I recommend looking into Mohanad Abu Rizq. I'll tell you how to spell it. I love his work. I adore his work. He has an Inst Instagram page and a TikTok. Um, the way you spell it is, I'm not in the chat or whatever you, uh, I don't know. I'm just here. I don't know how to do all that yet. Um, but this is how you spell his name. M, like Mary, O-H-A-N-N, -N, like Nancy, N-N, A-D, okay, Mohaned, with two N's, Abu, A-B-U, and then Risk. R-I-Z-K. I absolutely love his work. Beautiful, beautiful clips. Definitely look into him. And then speaking of assassination, he was assassinated in 1972 in Beirut, Lebanon. My favorite ever, Ghassan Kenafani. Um, the way you spell his, just Google him and just deep dive into him. I love him. Uh, you should see the interviews with him, his wit, the way he answers everything. Oh, I resonate with it so much. I see myself in him. I don't um, So his name is uh, Ghassan, G-H-A-S-S-A-N, okay? G-H-A-S-S-A-N, Kanafani, K-A-N-A-F-A-N-I. Adore him. He was assassinated in 1972. Like I said, he he uh, was born in Akka, which is one of my favorite places in Palestine. Um, he ended up fleeing to Lebanon, and he was eventually assassinated there. But 
Um, so yeah, those are the two that I'm going to contribute. <laughs> so education is obviously one big thing that we can do, right? Where we can learn, we can, we can immerse ourselves in culture. We don't have to just learn about all the awful, ugly things in Palestine. Sometimes we might want to just step into looking at the beauty. I mean, just looking at the food, right? That we saw in that documentary was incredible. Mm -hmm. Seeing different dishes that are prepared was cool. I love Mia's suggestion, right? Of connecting with your locals, right? Seeing what they have to offer because that osmosis can really help change your perspective. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you learn every little piece of it, but having compassion and humanity for people of all kinds is really important. The next thing uh, I think that is really important that we can do is we can protest. I know some of y'all were just in DC. That's um, awesome. So protest is something that is happening on a localized level, on a grassroots level, but protesting is also happening on a large level. Connected to that, there are boycotts. Uh, we talked about, I think, Starbucks in tonight's show, right? Clearly, that's one of the big ones that we're trying to promote. Divesting is a part of that, right? Deciding where you're going to spend your funds, who you're going to spend it on what you're going to do. The large globalized strike is coming up. It's January 21st uh, through the 28th. It's the whole week. Yeah. And that is coming from journalists in Gaza. Bison specifically aren't familiar with the idea of a global strike. Simply put, um, for that week, do not go to work. Do not send your kids to school. Obviously, if you have to work, it's okay. Um, but do not buy gas, do not use your credit cards. As we've seen with the boycott with as we've seen with the boycott with Starbucks, it's working. Starbucks in the fourth quarter of 2023 lost 12 billion dollars in profit because boycotts work. It is why 37 states in the United States have anti-BDS laws, which basically means that if you want to do business with any of those 37 states, you cannot boycott or ask them to die or ask the state to divest from companies that invest that work with the state of Israel. So it's been proven that it, it's been proven that it works. And it's only through actions like this that we can make a change. So divesting, protesting, educating, boycotting, giving your money where it matters. I know tonight we've raised a uh, hundred bucks for the Palestine Children's Relief Fund, which is excellent. I love that. I love seeing folks do that. Um, there are other great organizations out there. There are ways to take your money and put it where it needs to go. Just be mindful of where you're putting your money and it's going to the right places. There is an app that I have on my phone um, and I believe it's available. I have an iPhone, but I believe it's been available on Android as well. Um, the app is called Bicot. B-U-Y-C-O-T-T. And basically what that does is different like campaigns that you can follow. And basically what you can do is say you're shopping in the grocery store and I'll just use it as I'll just use it as an example because I know that it should be boycotted. And you're unsure if Sabra Hummus supports the you know, the state of Israel, which they do, by the way, so boycott it. Um, but what you can do is you can pick up a package of Sabra hummus, scan the barcode, and if it, and they have a camp and the boycott app has a campaign specifically for Palestine. And if the if the 
product that you scan the barcode of conflicts with that campaign, it will not only tell you that it conflicts, but why. So the thing is with consumerism in the United States today is you buy a product, you know, there could be seven different companies before you get back to the one that supports Israel. And this app will show you that path. If you want to continue beyond, if you want to continue boycotting beyond the global strike, I would highly recommend that app. Yeah. So just do what, do what you can. I just want to make it clear to everyone, um, do what you can. It's impossible to boycott everything they own because they own yeah if you did, um so do what you can but we want to target specific ones at a time and what we're targeting right now that's a must is starbucks mcdonald's and disney i the know holy trinity i know disney <laughs> sorry find find something else to show your kids I, I don't know just figure it out all right mcdonald's starbucks and disney those are the must if i see you there <laughs> and then on top of that, do whatever you can. Um, but we're going to be targeting, you know, a bunch at a time where we're, they are musts and do as much as you can. But don't be too hard on yourself. Um, oh, my gosh. But I got to do that. Like, there's so much. Just do the must, the three, the trio. Find things that are doable within your realm. So maybe do the three and then add some for yourself that you're doing in addition to that. Right. And then add a little bit more and a little bit more. Don't. Because it's a lot. It's overwhelming. They yeah. own a lot. And of things. like we were talking about the other, and like we were talking about the other night on TikTok, Nancy. If you truly wanted to boycott every single product of every single parent company, yeah, you'd be going back in time ten thousand years and living a hunter gatherer lifestyle. We're going to the woods. We gotta fish. We gotta hunt. We gotta grow our food. Collect rainwater. Make our clothes out of I don't leaves. I don't know. Uh, that's what we would have to do if we were to boycott everything they own we can, you know we can't do that we got to do a step at a time so we're going to have the must the three the trio remember mcdonald's starbucks disney yes disney also <laughs> um and then we'll move on from there but add on to that whatever you want and seek out this is my recommendation seek out palestinian owned businesses and support them palestinian owned businesses they're out there whether it's coffee shops there's a couple of coffee shops here that are Palestinian owned and amazing, amazing. So much better than Starbucks. Ew, Starbucks what? Starbucks, I don't know her. And then, you know, whatever, whether it's clothing, accessories, like, you know, just you got to dig maybe. I mean, I don't have like a spreadsheet with Palestinian owned businesses. Maybe we should put one together. Um, maybe there's one out there, but just seek them out um, and support them. Give them your money, support them. Yeah, and a lot of them, since October 7th, it's kind of a, a two for one, too, because I know a lot of Palestinian owned businesses, they're donating a portion and some are donating 100 percent of their profit, have been donating 100 percent of their profits since October 7th to organizations like the PCRF. So you're not only supporting the business, but then if they're turning around and donating to an organization like the PCRF, you're kind of doing two good deeds in one. Thanks guys for joining. As I like to say at every stream, the right conditions, every human being can heal. You have the power to create those conditions. Thank you all for joining us, signing off. This is Roll for Resilience. I'm a vector of change. Have a good night.